If chocolate is your weakness, the real chocolate decadence of Flava Naturals Performance Dark Chocolate can be your strength. Extensive research demonstrates the remarkable benefits of daily cocoa flavanols on brain and heart function, including a recent Harvard study showing a 27% reduction in cardiovascular death. The FDA recently issued a qualified health claim saying that high flavanol cocoa powder may help prevent cardiovascular disease. It may even be a helpful tool in managing cognitive decline. Flava Naturals Dark Chocolate Bars and Cocoa Powder deliver five to nine times the flavanols of typical dark chocolate with great flavor and minimal sugar. Their secret is sourcing premium high flavanol cocoa beans and processing them naturally. The result is decadent dark chocolate with the flavanol levels needed to fuel brain and cardio performance. I use it every day. For more information and to order, just go to flavanaturals.com. There you'll find the extensive research behind cocoa flavanol's benefits and great recipes too. That's flavanaturals.com. Welcome to today's Intelligent Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ronald Hoffman. Today's subject is male sexual health, and we're going to uh, reprise the conversation with one of my favorite guests, uh, Dr. Gio Espinosa. Dr. Gio Espinosa is a naturopathic functional medicine doctor who is recognized as one of the foremost authorities in urology and men's health. In fact, uh, he is unique in that uh, he has uh, joined the faculty of NYU, uh, New York University, uh, which is very prestigious for a naturopathic physician because of clearly institutional bias against natural medicine. I think it's really a tribute uh, to him and also to the open-mindedness of the folks over at NYU uh, that they wanted to incorporate a naturopathic perspective uh, in their department of urology. Uh, he is an avid researcher and writer. Uh, he's authored numerous scientific papers and books, including co-editing the book Integrative Sexual Health, which I also wrote a chapter for. And uh, he's also author of the best-selling prostate cancer text, Thrive, Don't Only Survive. Uh, he also, uh, you are also currently involved uh, with a podcast. Tell us a little bit about that. Thanks for having me. You know, people like you inspire me. You've been doing this. You've been doing, you've been podcasting before podcasts were called podcasts. And, and I've been listening to you for, for decades. And I always said, you know, and, and friends have told me, you know, you, you, you have a good voice. Why don't you, you know, once you do a podcast, I was like, okay, you know, pandemic hit, and then we put things together, and here we are a year and a half later. So, yes, it's a, it's a Dr. Geo podcast, and uh, um, you could listen to it on any podcast platform. And, and the subjects are, are more oriented towards male sexual health, to issues related to the prostate, to prostate cancer, uh, but also to, to sexual health uh, and topics related to uh, exercise, for, you know, especially with a male-oriented focus, right? That's right. Um, about 90% of the episodes are related to some urological or male health problem. Uh but then, for example, the one that we, if, if I meet somebody interesting that I want to interview, even if it's not related 
one can make the argument everything is related to health uh, holistically. If you look at life in a holistic lens like I do, um, then I'll have a month. Today's uh, podcast episode was, for example, on holistic venture capitalism, right? So if there's anything interesting along those lines, I, I have a month too. But it's mostly related to um, how do you optimize your prostate health and live better with age? Indeed. And, you know, since the prostate is uh, such a problematic issue for men, especially as they age, but, you know, oftentimes uh, earlier in life, uh, that in itself is a big subject. And we're going to touch upon that, of course. But before we get into that, uh, tell us a little bit about why uh, NYU would, you know, which is a prestigious conventional medicine institution, uh, would see fit to bring aboard a naturopathic uh urology specialist. What, how does that complement, you know, the array of treatments that they offer, you know, prostate surgery and, you know, green light laser treatment, uh, freezing, uh, you know, burning, you know, all the various interventions, right, medications, right. and so on? Well, let's see. Well, I've been there for, it's been a while now, uh, uh, for 13 years. And previously you were at and Columbia. You, you also, this is not the first time you've been with, right. a, with a, a, a mainstream uh, medical yeah. center. Yeah. I've, I've, been in, I've been in mainstream medical centers since day one. Um, I guess, you know, not only, you know, within urology that uh, there, there is no really stepping on toes. Like you could really do integrative medicine very well in urology. There's also some conditions within urology that I learned early on. Urologists will never want to treat. They will never. They, they would be very happy if they never see. One of them is prostatitis. So it turns out that with holistic and naturopathic modalities, people do well, you know, with prostatitis. So then I thought I became a prostatitis. I, that's kind of my. That was my selling point, if you will. So look. So, so what, what, what you're saying, uh, Dr. Gio, is that uh, they're actually happy to send some of their uh, nuisance patients here, the challenging patients, where they don't really have a lot to offer. I mean, yes, of course, they can uh, offer antibiotics. They can tell people yeah. to take uh, warm sits baths. Uh, and uh, and we know how, how minimally efficacious some of those things are. And so they say, well, you know, send it to, you know, the wizard down the hall because he seems to, to do well with those patients. Uh, you know, we're sick and tired of dealing with these intractable problems. And, and, you, and, and they never see them again. <laughs> they're very happy with the results. So, so there, there, it's a win-win. It's right. so you have that, interstitial cystitis, which is another condition that's very difficult to treat from a medical standpoint. And then you have, uh, you know... But, by the way, that's, a, that's, like a bladder, that's a bladder problem, which is a very yeah. uh, uncomfortable bladder problem, which uh, mostly, in my experience, occurs in women, but also can occur in men. And it just is really, you know, makes life miserable. That's right. That's right. It, the, the symptom... The, the symptom presentation clinically is very similar, prostatitis and interstitial cystitis. Mm -hmm. So these are, and, and as, from an integrative perspective, you know, some patients are not going to do, for example, a green light laser or a TERP for their enlarged prostate. They're not doing it, period, end of story. Uh, so they want natural methods. So then we, we can dabble, we can, we can start with natural methods that seem to work very well. And I guess we'll touch on that later on. You know, some guys don't want uh, TRT, right? They don't want uh, uh, testosterone treatment, uh, exogenous. Uh, mm -hmm. They want to know how, you know, how can I, 
how can I build my own testosterone without CRT? Nothing against CRT. I think it's very efficacious for many people and so forth, but sometimes that's not the right way for people. So, so uh, testosterone replacement therapy. So, okay, so clearly there's a niche uh, that you can fill, uh, you know, especially when it comes to using a more gentle, natural approach uh, that is, you know, either uh, free of the serious side effects associated with conventional surgeries and medications, uh, but also ultimately maybe more efficacious that, you know, where, where uh, conventional medicine really doesn't have a good answer. That's right. That's right. Yep. That's exactly right. Well, that, that opens up so many possibilities for us. So let's, let's focus on the prostate. You know, what goes wrong for a lot of men, uh, especially as they age, is they develop urinary frequency, urinary hesitancy, uh, loss of uh, control. And then they go to a urologist and the urologist says, well, of course, you have an enlarged prostate. What else is new? This is called BPH, uh, benign prostatic uh, hypertrophy. Uh, which is, uh, you know, it's, it's not even a disease. It's just a natural condition associated with aging. And so, uh, first question is, you know, there's a whole armamentarium of things that purport to help to control BPH to prevent it from enlarging or even to shrink the prostate. Uh, salt palmetto comes to mind. Uh, what's your take on that? Because now there are medications. There's, uh, finasteride. Uh, there's also Avidart. These are powerful medications that can shrink the prostate, sometimes used for this. Uh, do you think that the natural approaches stack up, you know, pumpkin seed and things along those lines? What's your take? Um, Ron, let's back up a little bit. Yeah. A 60, I don't know, two 66-year-old man comes in with urinary problems. I think it's, I think it's the wrong thing to just think, oh, of course, you, you 66 has a prostate issue. He has a prostate drug. I think that's, and it happens all the time, not only with general practitioners, but with urologists as well. So I joke that you sort of blame the organ you have, because if it's a woman coming in with similar issues at 66, you, you're not going to blame the prostate. They don't have a prostate, right? They have a bladder. So the first problem, I think, I find is that the first thing that's blamed is the prostate. Meanwhile, you have men with big prostates who don't have urinary symptoms, but I know they have a big prostate either through a physical exam or an MRI that showed their prostate is 200 grams. You have men with small prostates, 40 grams, with tons of urinary symptoms. So it's not right. just about it's the size. I mean, we, we tend to think that, okay, it's, you know, just anatomical. It's just when you have a large prostate, it presses on the urethra. And, uh, you know, it's just a matter of, you know, take, uh, reduce That's the right. volume of the prostate with surgery or with a medi medication. But it's not always about that. So what, what are some other factors? Are there dietary factors? Uh, are there, uh, nutritional factors, inflammatory factors that can be addressed through natural medicine? say one other thing is very important so sure. yeah you're right it's not only about the size of the prostate but the other thing is maybe it's the bladder maybe it's a bladder problem mm -hmm. maybe it's not a just like a woman would have overactive bladder men have overactive bladders as well so it's not always as it relates to the prostate that's the most that's the takeaway or the size of the prostate um 
So when I, I so I treat the patient, not their prostate. It's right. So uh, many ways of doing that, but I always look at the bladder and the prostate as one. I don't look at I don't look at them separately. So I'm always trying to treat both the bladder and the prostate. Um, yes, of course. If the if the prostate is enlarged, actually doesn't matter. Even if it's small, that middle part called the transitional zone. That's the zone that um, carries the urethra. Or, the, the, or that surrounds the urethra, if that transitional zone squeezes on the urethra, it doesn't matter if you have a big prostate or small prostate, it's going to cause prostate-related uh, urinary problems. So I try to address all these things, right? From a integrative and holistic perspective, what am I trying to accomplish? Well, there's a metabolic aspect to urinary problems. So we know that patients who suffer from constipation oftentimes have urinary problems. So the bowel and the bladder connection is uh, it's connected, right? We know that metabolic syndrome. So these are men uh, who would have, you know, high blood glucose, high lipids, high cholesterol, high hypertension, uh, kind of overweight or big belly. Uh, these people tend to have urinary related problems. Uh, so we need to address that. Is that due um, to like the, systemic uh, inflammation that is associated with metabolic yeah. syndrome? Uh, okay, so right. so it it doesn't just affect the heart, uh, the brain, uh, the kidneys, but it may affect all organs of the body and and cause them to work less efficiently. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Um, stress, uh, you know. The bladder and the prostate are smooth muscles, or or, or at least the, the prostate contains thirty percent of the prostate is uh, contain is uh, is, is, a, is a smooth muscle, not just a gland. So people say, well, the prostate gland. Well, how about the other thirty percent? That's the gland. The glandular part is seventy percent. Thirty percent of is smooth muscle, bladder, arteries, right? Also smooth muscles. What do we know with smooth muscles? So. For your audience, we could break this down briefly, Ron, I think. You know, there's three types of muscles in the body. You have the skeletal muscles. Those are the muscles attached to your bones that help you move around. Voluntary you muscles. Your, They're voluntary. Voluntary, that's right. That's right. You have your cardio uh, cardio muscles. These are the muscles around your heart. And then you have your smooth muscles, pretty much all other muscles are smooth muscles. That includes the muscles, and those are mostly involuntary. And that includes the muscles of your blood vessels, uh, bladder, and uh, prostate. What happens when stress is high, let's say from a blood vessel or arterial perspective? Well, blood, the, the, the blood vessels constrict or they squeeze and your blood pressure goes up. Well, that happens to all smooth muscles. This constriction from stress in all smooth muscles, including the bladder, including the prostate which then will cause urinary problems, right? So uh, unmanaged stress, I find is the most overlooked, uh, 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 the most overlooked health problem that's associated with urinary problems. So this would open the door to uh, therapies that are natural interventions for stress, things like uh, meditation, relaxation, yoga, uh, and so on. That's right. You know, also botanicals and, 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 uh, so I use, 
So what are the botanicals? You, you, would you like me to talk about uh, some of the botanicals I use in men with urinary problems? Please, yeah. Yeah. So some of the botanicals I use are not the typical prostate, uh, uh, prostate herbs. You know, I was just talking to Eric Yarnell, who's a colleague in a, in a big into herbal medicine. And we were just talking about how can, how did it ever happen that soft palmetto is just a prostate herb? Like it, it's a great herb for women who have urinary problems as well, not just men, right? Mm-hmm. So we associate certain herbs to certain genders or or, or certain organs in the body. Um, one of the herbs that I use, uh, w- one of the category of herbs that I think are very important are called spasmolytic herbs. Mm-hmm. Right. So these are herbs that 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 that, you know, decreases spasms in the body. Mm-hmm. And so there are a few of those. Um, Eric Yardell, for example, likes to use a uh, Kella. Hmm. Uh, it's a botanical that's o- only found in tincture, by the way, hmm. not in uh, pills or powder. Now, could you could you pronounce uh, that again or spell it? Because that's not sure, in, the, sure. in the in the mainstream armamentarium. That's right. That's right. So Kella is K-H-E-L-L-A. Mm-hmm. Um, another herb that uh, can be safely used and with good clinical uh, uh, response is kava. Okay. That's K-A-V-A. a well-known relaxant, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, but you don't see it in any, uh, you know, formula, proxy formula or things. Mm-hmm. And actually, for Eric and uh, oftentimes with... In my practice for prostatitis, I do prescribe kava. Uh, so kava, and uh, the one that another that I do use frequently is scutellaria. Mm-hmm. Skullcap. It's a spasmolytic herb. Skullcap. Skullcap. That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. So the point here is that you got to look outside the box. You got to calm mm-hmm. down the spasm of the system, and so then find a way to do that. These are three herbs that do that. I primarily use mostly uh, kava and scutellaria or skullcap. Is any of this related to pelvic um, floor dysfunction? Because there's a lot of talk about that for both uh, uh, male and female problems, and it has to do with the spasm of the pelvic uh, girdle. The p- structures down there get all uh, misaligned, and uh, there's there is actually you know a whole form of physical therapy that addresses pelvic floor right. dysfunction. Typically, um, it's associated for sure. But what's causing, you know, what's causing the dysfunction? You know, is chicken and an egg, right? So there's these spasms and these uh, tight muscles around on the pelvic area. So what a oftentimes a physical therapist would do is palpate around the uh, pelvic area, uh, the perineal perineal area, which is the area between the scrotum and the anus. Sometimes they would insert their uh, finger in the anus and kind of check for pelvic muscles there and squeeze around there. Um, so there, there are tight muscles. There's no question. Some of these faces jump off the table. Mm-hmm. Question is, what's causing that, right? Um, I, I think, and you know, when you talk about causes, you run into a tricky road because it's like, okay, you know, where's the hardcore evidence for that? But in my experience, oftentimes is excess sitting, for example. Yeah. So I find that cab drivers have a hard time. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the pelvic area, they have urinary problems that are just tightness of the, you know, tightness of the mm-hmm. pelvic muscles. Mm-hmm. Uh, magnesium deficiency, mm-hmm. 
right? Sometimes you give a, a patient some good magnesium day and night. Hmm. That helps. That helps quite a bit. We, we um, probably could have used right, you right. in uh, Tombstone, Arizona, in 1880 because of the you know a lot of uh, <laughs> cowboys you know sitting in the saddle for long periods of time. That's right. That's right. That's absolutely right. I, I wonder they probably couldn't call it uh, prostatitis or pelvic pain, but I wonder. Uh, yeah, I, uh, the reason the reason I say that is I once did uh, a, like a little uh, little comedy routine uh, called Frontier Urologist uh, on my radio station, and uh, the the management didn't like that. They called me on the carpet, and I had to sit with the program director, and he said it really was very funny. But it, this is a family station, anyway. <laughs> that's just an aside. <laughs> Frontier urologist, you know you can you can that's imagine right, what that right. entails, right? Anyway, go ahead. That's right, exactly. Um, uh, let's see. So, so stress and so stress, uh, you know, induces tightness. And some people get tight wherever they get tight, yeah. right? Wherever their constitution, you know, gets them tight. Yeah, right? so yeah have, it's a little bit like you know, low back pain. It's like where where do you put your stress? Exactly. You know, you put people put stress in their necks and their trapezius muscles, so they put stress in their in their uh, uh, lower back, uh, uh, or perhaps in their forehead, and they have headaches. But maybe this is like kind of like a tension headache of the of the lower extremities. You know, that's a way of looking at Actually, it. Actually, there's a book yeah. written. There's a book written called Headache in the Pelvis. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Uh, Very interesting. Uh, headache in the Pelvis. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you trademark that? Uh, Ron, or? <laughs> we'll go. Ha- we'll go half season uh, on that. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, that's right. Um, it, so it is. So for a lot of people, it is the it is their pelvic area, right between the perineal and the uh, perineal area, or the lower abdominal area, lower back, that's almost to the mm-hmm. anal mm-hmm. area. And that's where they hold their stress. Yeah. Well, that's very so, interesting because um, that, that opens up a lot of possibilities. Therapy, yeah. yeah, that opens up a lot of possibilities that's that, right. you know, beyond the, because uh, the, the, the options are limited, of course, uh, for men with this type of problem. So I, I get the basic idea. Um, let's move on to uh, issues related to sexual performance because, you know, obviously testosterone is uh, the 600-pound gorilla uh, when it comes to uh, addressing male uh, sexual problems, you know, men. And, and by the way, and I'm, I'm sure that you agree with me that it's a very valuable tool, not only just to enhance men's sexual performance, but also to help them metabolically uh, energize them, uh, improve their mood. Um, and so I'm sure that, right. you know, you can get behind that. Uh, but uh, there are uh, some men who prefer a natural approach for some men. Uh, there are issues related to testosterone. Maybe they're concerned. Maybe they've had uh, you know prostate cancer, and they're looking for uh, a less risky alternative. Uh, although men who've had prostate cancer can be safely treated sometimes with testosterone. What what are some of the the, right. the, the big players that can make a difference? Because I know that. Um, you know, look, I'm, I'm not a big fan of some of these, you know, AM radio ads for, you know, this pill that makes you larger and this pill that makes you, you know, harder. Because right. uh, <laughs> I think there's a lot of there's a lot of fakery in this realm. But, you know, what are some of the real plausible approaches? Ron, let's take this a step back as well, because it's important sure. to for me to present a little context. The most valuable 
as best as I know, and I say that with humility, because although I read papers every day of my life, and I've probably read hundreds of, pa- uh, of papers uh, on testosterone and books and everything, my and I've interviewed uh, experts, like, uh, for example, Dr. Mohit Kara from uh, Houston and Baylor. He's like one of the foremost experts. The most important component of testosterone is not necessarily total, but having enough free. Mm-hmm. Free testosterone. Right. So briefly for your audience, testosterone is uh, is a cholesterol molecule and it doesn't it can't roam it's like oil and water. It doesn't mix well with water. So you cannot it just cannot flow in your bloodstream well. It's carried by another molecule called SH sex hormone binding globulin, right? But the mm-hmm. problem here is that sex hormone binding globulin holds onto it very tightly. It doesn't really let go. So it's almost like if you get in a cab and the doors are locked and you're ready to get out, but you can't get out. Yeah. Right? So very difficult. So sometimes SHBG is just too high. Is there, and, and the magic with testosterone only happens when there's free testosterone. Right? And, and, and excuse me, and part of the problem, part of the problem also is that the more testosterone you give, the more your body manufactures SHBG, locking up the testosterone. So after a long period of time on testosterone, you get a higher SHBG and then uh, you need higher and higher doses. And uh, if you if even if you stop the testosterone, the SHBG remains high. So you end up with a lower testosterone than you started with. So this is a problem. That That's correct. Sometimes what happens is a lot of conversion or too, too much conversion from testosterone to estrogen. That too. Right? Yeah. And, and other problems, yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. All right, so what we want is bioavailable, right? What we, the amount of bioavailable testosterone that we want is between 2 and 3%, period, end of story. Okay? Between 2 and 3% bioavailable testosterone, period, end of story. Why do I say that? Well, if you look at the lab range for testosterone, it's somewhere between, depending on what you're looking at, 300 and 1,000, which is crazy by, in and by itself, right? Mm-hmm. Such a wide range, yeah. right? I've seen guys with, you know, testosterone up to 800, not on TRT, but their bioavailable is 1.6%, mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and, and they have symptoms. And, and then there's, a, there's, even, there's even more complication because the, their receptors may be uh, saturated or oh. not uh, responsive to the testosterone. So it gets it gets complicated. So it's not just a, about the actual number. So just, you know, pushing it up there is makes That's sense correct. intuitively, but sometimes uh, does not do the job. Higher, higher is not better unless you have A, enough free of that higher testosterone, mm-hmm. B, the, resp- the, the androgen receptors, so it's like a lock and key, these, tes- these testosterone molecules need to attach to a receptor, like a lock and key, but those receptors need to be, you need enough of them, and you need them to be healthy and robust so that they can attach and do the job. So those are the two main things that need to happen. Ron, just this past week, I saw a guy, and the only reason I knew his testosterone is because I pretty much get it on everyone. No ED, no libido problems, no fatigue related to testosterone. His testosterone was 250. Hmm. So by standards, it's low. His free testosterone, bioavailable testosterone was 2.6%. That's right in the target zone. Yeah. 
right in the target zone. Asymptomatic for, for low T, right? Mm-hmm. So in that particular patient, I'm not, you know, uh, first of all, he didn't come in for that. Secondly, he has great bioavailable. He has, his shim score, right? So it's the sexual inventory for men score uh, that, that it goes from a scale of zero to 25. Uh, the high, if you're 25 out of 25, that means you do great sexually and the lower the number, the more poorly you do sexually. He was a 25 out of 25. Wow. Uh, his shim score. Right? So I'm not, I'm leaving that alone. So that's just an example of how that works. Right. As, as we talk about botanicals and other things, right? Good, good point at which to pause because let's keep talking about testosterone and, and maybe, you know, natural ways of boosting testosterone short of, uh, prescription testosterone, because prescription testosterone is always an option and can be a good uh, backup plan. But our listeners know we divide our podcast into two parts. So in part two, let's start with looking at some of the ways that we can, uh, via lifestyle and via perhaps uh, supplementation, uh, reliable ways to not just boost testosterone, but make it more bioavailable uh, and achieving the the optimal goals for men. I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman. Our guest is Dr. Gio Espinosa. Uh, Gio, give out your website, please, so that people can. Uh, you, know, I know it's it's under repair, so people may have to um, uh, wait a couple of days before it's back online. Because you were when you started your podcast, you told me you were so flooded with inquiries <laughs> that your exactly. website is down now. What where where would people find out about you? Yeah, so uh, so yeah, our server crashed from all the attention, so we're in maintenance. But it's drgeo.com. That's dr. GEO.com and as many ways as even from that front page where they can stay in touch with us. Okay, great. Okay, we'll resume in part two. I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman, and this is the Intelligent Medicine Podcast.